Hey, everyone. Uh, if you want to support the show, please subscribe, like, rate, review this podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, that stuff really matters for uh, younger podcasts getting a little recognition. Um, also, please consider becoming a Patreon. Patreon.com slash 185 miles south. Um, you know, dollar a month. That shit's fucking tight. Appreciate that. Um, that's all. On with the episode. Hundred eighty five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. All right, we are here with Bert to Last and Aaron, also built to last and over my dead body fame. Um, let's start it off. What year did a uh, Built to last start. I think it was 95 where we originally formed with like the original members. Um, Aaron wasn't in the band at that time. It was uh, me, Dave Kennedy, um, another kid who played in NIV, Jason, and uh, a friend of mine named Damien. And uh, that's when we put out the uh, San Diego's Hardest demo. <laughs> you guys ever ever saw that it's it's got a picture of like a brick wall and like fake spray paint that says San Diego's hardest but um I think at that time we were heavily and still are into we were into like um New York hardcore bands Biohazard Sick of It All so we were trying to uh be that type of hardcore at that time but yeah that was the that was the demo that started it um that lineup didn't last I don't know too long I think we got you in Right after the first, um, I think it was '96. Yeah, it was after we released "Loyalty and Betrayal." Yeah, because you guys were just getting ready to um, record what was that six-song EP? Self-titled. Self-titled. Yeah, so you guys were getting ready. So I ended up being on that recording. So it was just before that. Right. I remember we had to have a tryout for him when he joined the band, and. Uh, he missed a couple symbols, oh, so I, I wasn't sure he was going to work. <laughs> this is the best story. First of all, you got to throw it out to Razor Don Cajon for introducing me to the guys to, to be able to play. Um, but I, so I remember I was playing for like Scheller at the time. And so, you know, that was more just hit the symbols. You know, I had baseball bats for drumsticks. And uh, so I was like, I got the, the their first CD and I'm sitting there like trying to learn. I think I learned like four songs. So I went and I just, the first time I met them was just showing them, showing up to the, where they practice. So I get set up and we go through it and I, I freaking nailed it. <laughs> I, you know, I, nailed I, it. I nailed it. So we get out there and Bert's like, yeah. Sounded pretty good, man. Uh, you missed like four symbols, though. <laughs> and I'm just like looking at him, like, wait, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it ended up working out okay. Yeah, yeah. I let him be in the band. So. <laughs> well, you know what? It was funny because they were super pumped because like I pulled up in my truck and I had this like super big drum 
box that hold, held all my drums so they I looked all professional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I having cases for the drums does make you look very yeah. professional. Yeah. He it wasn't on. even cases. It was a box and the whole thing rolled. Oh, shit. <laughs> I think everybody was, was already sold when you just drove up. They were like, oh, God, look at this guy. He's oh, good. yeah. He's good looking. Me, I was like, nope. <laughs> Got to pass the drum test. So... But yeah, so that, that's when the that's when the demo first came out, and yeah. So let's go back and talk about the intent behind it. What was the intent of starting Dope to Last? You just wanted to do a I just a wanted New York, to do a hardcore band, New York yeah, hardcore I mean, type band in San Diego. Yeah, me and me and my friend uh, Donnie. Um, like I said, we grew up. You know, that's all we listened to: Gorilla Biscuits. You know, Jock and Biohazard, like big time. You you you. If you heard the demo, you would you would be like, oh my God, that's like a biohazard song type stuff. But yeah, we were in the New York hardcore and we wanted to play that type of hardcore because there was nobody in San Diego doing that for sure. I mean, it was, I, I don't, I can't recall any hardcore bands like that or, you know, like us for, for the matter. But that, that was the intent. We're just like, hey, we want to start a band. So we did. We got, we got our friends together and I met Dave Kennedy through some people and uh, that's where it just kind of went off from there. And that was your first band. I was in a few other bands, like just briefly not, before. Just briefly, but not you know not anything. When I was younger, like fourteen, fifteen, okay. like punk bands. But because by the time you did both the last, you've been going to shows for a long time, right? Yeah. When, when did he start going to shows? In San Diego, I think my first show in San Diego was at the Shea Cafe. Man, I had to have been thirteen, okay. and I saw the Descendants. Okay. At the Shea Cafe. Okay. I think it was like maybe 84. Okay. 83. Yeah. So, but, you know, from there on, I kind of um, just started going to a lot of shows in San Diego, to a lot of the uh, older clubs and stuff like that that are no longer around, Palisades, um, stuff like that. So, wa- watching a mixture of punk and hardcore bands. So, did you get to go to any of the shows in that Chula Vista garage? Like yes. Where they said like Judge played and. Yes, I was at that. Yeah, I was at the Judge show and the Verbal Assault show. So. Tell me about a little that, bit. Of, that's that's people when people love hearing that stuff. So, but that's that's back when I was still a skinhead, and well, we were me, Donnie. We had friends. We were we were skinheads, but we didn't listen to Oi. Right? We were you know boots and braces with you know agnostic front shirts, war zone. We were into hardcore, but we were skinheads. So, so let's talk about the start of that. Let's yeah. go back to that. What made you decide to want to be skinhead? And what was ran it ran into a, a crowd of. Um, Sharp skinheads, mm-hmm. older guys, and just kind of started hanging out with them. And You're what age in there? What age? God, at the time, I was maybe 16, and they were like in their early to mid-20s. Cool. And they were just like super cool guys, and I just started hanging out with them. And then from there, it's like, hey, you know, why don't you shave your head? All right, you know, here's some boots. So you kind of get into it that way, and you just kind of, kind of I wouldn't say I idolized these guys, but they were, they treated me, they treated me good um, at a time where, my home life wasn't super awesome, so um, I felt like it was it was a group of guys that I could depend on and hang with, and you know, got into the skinhead scene. So, and that's eighty um, seven ish. Yeah, I would I would say so. I'm, I'm, four, I'm forty eight. So yeah. yeah. Well, you, you're saying you're around thirteen eighty four. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you guys go to shows together. It's like a big crew. Yeah. Oh yeah. We go. We go to a lot of shows. We went to a lot of shows in San Diego, and then we would go up to. Um, like San Francisco and Oakland and hang out with those guys and go to shows. But um, getting back to the judge show, you know, whenever we would show up to shows, it was always kind of like tense, like, oh, skinheads are here or whatever and stuff. But um, I met Rob and all the amenity guys at those garage shows. And those 
are the guys that kind of changed me. Because even though, you know, let's be honest, when you're a skinhead, just because you're not racist doesn't mean you're like the nicest guy in the world, right? I kind of wasn't a nice kid back then. But um, I have never heard that. Yeah. <laughs> Rob was just telling me about it. But I met Rob Moran and stuff like that and became really good friends with them. Mm-hmm. And that kind of, you know, they changed me as a person. I mean, it, it, I could talk all night about that transformation of from being a skinhead to meeting all those hardcore kids and straight edge kids and stuff. And then finally fitting in where I felt like, man, this is this is where I want to be. Well, Over here a- was was cool, you know, but. But I think that's a good story to tell because yeah. it's something that hasn't been on here yet. Right. Right. So let's talk about the height of knuckleheadism. Yeah. I mean. Like, tell me a story. Uh, we would go to shows at the Shea Cafe and we weren't liked. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, you know, and, and honestly, I was joking with Rob. Rob told everybody a story about um, there was going to be a big fight with a lot of skinheads and a lot of punk and hardcore kids. And in the middle of it was me. Mm-hmm. And Rob was like, you know, I know that guy, you know, and it's, it's fine. You know, not, you know, nothing's going to happen. We never really went to shows with the intent to fight people. Like that wasn't my intent. Yeah. I wanted to go to shows to go to shows. You know, did I hang out with some knuckleheads? Of course. Sure. But we didn't like before the show go like, Hey, let's go and fight. But the minute we showed up there, everything got tense. And then it made us tense. Right. You know what I mean? And sure. then just kind of everybody's building off of each other. And then, you know, stuff happened. So I didn't have a good reputation at the Shea Cafe for a while back when I was, you know, we're talking 16, 17. Um, and, you know, I, I regret those days. I, I, you know, I think that's why over the years, the hardcore scene, I've went out of my way to do what I can to make up for those days. Of- well, yeah. I mean, if anything, I would say that Built to Last is a, a very big unity band, right? Oh, very totally. accepting to like everyone. Oh, totally. Yeah, I mean, our our goal wasn't just, oh, we're only playing with hardcore bands or right. I don't want to play with this band. Um, like, in control. You know, you guys were younger kids. You guys used to support us. I would always try to get you guys on pretty much any show. We got you on a lot of shows in San Diego. I got a lot of punk bands, younger kids, you know what I mean? So my goal was just like, I just want everybody to have fun at shows, right? You sure. know, because back in the 90s and the 80s, wasn't always that way, you know what I mean? So I think I use Built to Last as kind of like a mechanism to make up for my past mm-hmm. um, and to try to do things right. And, you know, I think I've done that. I think, you know, I think Built to Last did a lot for the hardcore scene, you know, in San Diego. Um, you know, there's always those those years where you have amenity, right? And then they're done and then you have Unbroken who takes it, right? Sure. And then there was us. Yeah, but there was a slight gap, right? Unbroken breaks up in, or do they break up in '95? Is it '94 or '95? Mid '90s, I believe. Early, early to mid '90s. Was there a gap between Unbroken and Built to Last? I think there was. There by by at least three years, I would think. A couple years, maybe. Yeah, I wasn't in Built to Last when I remember being at the last Unbroken show at the Shea. So yeah, but the demo could have been out. The demo was out, and I remember. We got our start. We played Soma a lot. Mm-hmm. And this was before Soma, you know, everybody realized that, you know, Lynn was a shithead and just dirty business guy and stuff like that. So that's where we got our start. Sure. I mean, we were playing, we got to play with AFI there. We played with Sick of It All several times. Fuck, we even yeah. played with, do you remember we played with Papa Roach? <laughs> do you remember that? Yeah. We played with fucking Papa Roach. I don't even know how we got on that bill, but we headlined. And they were actually really nice guys into hardcore, but that, that's a that's a funny story. But but let's, we got our start at Soma, you know. Let's and, talk about it. Yeah, so 
we 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 started playing like a lot of soma shows and i think this was before you no, did you did you ever play did you play any of the sick of it all shows? yeah there i played the sick of it all show when he was like this goes out to the boys uh, with the same name and it was when their yeah album but you weren't there for papa roach yeah though. i was because well, i remember because yeah. they nobody paid attention to him so the singer got naked on stage yeah the singer got naked on stage but i remember after they played and then we played the singer came up to us and was like, oh, we love your band. You know, we'd love to go on tour with you. And I was just kind of like brushing it off like, uh, I don't think we're the same type of music. But they were actually nice guys. Um, two years later on MTV or whatever. Yeah, yeah. like two yeah. years later, I was like, damn, that band uh, kind of blew up a little bit. Send them so, an email. Yeah, hey, uh, can we go on tour with you? <laughs> Remember <laughs> us? Yeah, we're ready for that tour. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, so we, we started off playing like so much shows. And, and are you then, building up a following off the demo alone? We are. We kind of a big following. You know, we were starting to attract, you know, a hundred kids to a show, and then you know, Lynn at the time was like, "Oh my God, I'm going to put you on the main stage." So and, you're headlining the little side stage. Oh yeah, yeah. At a hundred kids, that was, yeah. that was a cool little room. Yeah, back then it was it was a cool room, and yeah. you know, we had pretty much we had a diehard um, fan base and friends. Like mm-hmm. alone, there would be thirty five friends there. Sure. Every built to last show, roll out. Sure. hang out you know plus the kids that come to see us and mm-hmm. stuff like that and i remember back then like there was a lot of young kids coming to shows like their parents dropping them off yeah or, you know 13 14 mm-hmm. year olds and stuff and i just remember talking to those kids because they was come they would come up to us and try to talk to us and stuff and i just was always so you know just like dude i'll totally talk to you you know i, I would always explain to them you guys can do what we're doing, but, you know, if you want to chat with us, sure, have a seat, man. I'm down to talk about anything, you know, or, you know, we would have kids come up to us and, you know, it's awkward, but like, hey, can you sign, you know, the CD? And sure. I, I would never turn anyone down, but I would always let them know, like, hey, you could be doing the same yeah, thing yeah, that yeah. we're doing. You know? Agreed. We're nothing special. We're just up on stage because we've worked at it or whatnot. So. Yeah, I think you have to do that, right? If a kid wants it. Yeah, you can't be a dick, but a lot of bands are dicks. Yeah, yeah. And well, I think you, you, yeah, you're making the point and still doing it. Exactly. I would do the same thing. Yeah, I yeah. guess you could make the point and not do it, but it's, yeah. funny. it's silly. When you're, when you're 15 years old and you see, I remember when I go to the Unbroken shows, I was like, Dude, that's Rob from Unbroken. Like, yeah. you know, you can't help it. Like, you just yeah. put everybody on a pedestal. And then when you get to a point where people are, are asking you the same thing, you go, yeah, I'm really not a big deal, you yeah. know? Yeah, it's like, all right, all right yeah, we'll... we'll you know, sign your thing or, you know, yeah, or, you feel stupid signing it, but it, it, it makes, but it sometimes day, people like, want something to remember from a show and, yeah. and we don't know the circumstances either. Right. So right. maybe they don't have money for a shirt. Right. And maybe you don't have buttons of that show. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's important for bands to remember when you go on tour, when you do shows, um, if you really want to get out there to try to have stuff to sell of every, like, you know, from low money to, Higher, right, right? right to try to always have stickers and pins because to a lot give of people, away and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or, or just buy two for a dollar you know um, just because a lot of people want to have memories from shows and, and you know you don't know what people's circumstances are yeah. Dude, free stickers yeah. a long way yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so taking it a step further of talking about you know talking with younger kids and stuff like that <laughs> we got asked to play a kid's birthday party and these kids <laughs> were like 13 and 14 and me I was pushing for it. I was like, guys, we got to do this. I mean, they, they, we couldn't do it, but Dave Kennedy and I showed up to the birthday party and hung out with the kids and they were, you know, they were just, 
It was it was surreal. It was like they were so happy. You do a singer yeah. songwriter set, right? Bring an acoustic guitar and <laughs> there was a couple of like punk bands that played, and they were just so psyched that we were there watching them. And that type of stuff made me feel good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Not like I'm out making a big difference, but no, no. It would if matter. you can be a positive role model or influence in someone's life, I'm all for that. You know? Yeah, I remember being like 17 and doing Voice of Defiance and playing like a show in Oxnard, and Tony Cortez from Ill Repute would show up or something. And it's like. It's a really nice validation. Oh, yeah. Like you're doing something. Right, right, so. right. But yeah, so after the demo, you do Loyalty and Betrayal. Right, with nothing left records. Okay, and where are they um, out of here? Now they were... What is the... Yeah, God, I lived in Hawaii too long now. Um, it's kind of like between here and halfway to Orange County. I forget the... San Clemente? The, no, it's past that a little bit. Up towards Orange County. I forget Anaheim? the area where the guy lived. Anaheim? No, it wasn't Anaheim. <laughs> we're gonna sit here forever. I don't, I don't remember it. Huh? Dana, Dana Point. They, they were from close. It's kind of close to that. I think. Laguna. Yeah, getting closer. It's not the name, but uh, so we. Yeah, we got hit up. You know, we we got hit up by him, and he's like, "Hey, I want to put up your CD." And I remember, like, we all met at Denny's, and we had to go over like a four-page contract, Jesus. which was like really bizarre. I was like, uh, "Okay, what are we exactly signing?" But. Yeah, that, that CD came out. When that CD came out, that's when it really started moving for us. That's when, you know, we we kind of knew we had something going. It was just, we had to act on it. And we had the tour and we, you know, started noticing like, damn, there's 150 kids at this show. Like what, you know, and the shows just from there just kept building. And yeah, building is, that, and building. is that when you start venturing out and going to NorCal and making those connections? To, to Oakland and, yeah. and all those guys up in that area, like uh, Hoods, Rely, Hoods, Powerhouse. Powerhouse, those were our boys. That was like, that was our home away from home. Like when we went up there, they, you know, yeah. we had the same type of reaction as in we would in San Diego. People wanted us to play up there. So yeah. we started doing those uh, West Coast trips. And that's when I started noticing that, you know, Man, this is this is something special, you know. At, at the time, you know, I mean, well, the CD's wild. It sounds like nothing else, right? I, mean, I don't think you could create it today, recreate it today if you tried. If no, you sat down and were like, "I'm going to do Loyalty and Betrayal 2. It's it's a wild sounding well, CD. It, I know it's almost kind of silly to me that CD. You know, and I when I listen to it, I'm like, it it meant a lot, but now I'm just like, man, it's kind of silly though. Like, I don't think it I is. don't know. You know, it's talk, always silly if you think it is. Well, no, I know, just kind of. I, I think I always wanted to have a certain sound mm-hmm. and I was never able to do that because I couldn't write music because I wasn't talented. Sure, but it's your first stab at it. Right. And so right. it comes from a sincere place. And I would play and songs I'm, off of that today. I was just saying like it's just kind of just reminds me of like, man, it's kind of... But everybody liked it. A lot of those songs, there's a couple anthems on there. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, a lot of songs that we would play um, at shows, uh, a couple of the songs off of that... Um, People were waiting. <laughs> Push. And you can't... Yeah, it's yeah. on fire. Yeah. It's on fire. The like special, that song. special effects. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's on fire. It took me like uh, less than two minutes to write that. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm just going to say this over and over again. It's a and sick it idea. Something... It's a sick idea. Because like when we brought you guys up to Ojai, that would have been after the self-titled CD came out. Right. But, you know, when not everyone knows your stuff... You can just say this song's called "It's on Fire." All I say is "It's on Fire." Yeah. It's a bunch of seventeen-year-olds that want to have fun. Yeah, you know, it's a brilliant song. And it, it kind of that song, you know, there's meaning behind it for me. It was, 
it was kind of just how I felt about the hardcore scene and what I what I imagined it it should be at the time. Bunch of kids together singing along, having fun, you know. And even though the lyrics don't really say that, that's what that that was. No, but that's what you freestyled in between. Right. When you're playing live. Right. So you could adapt it to every right. different show. <laughs> so, that was cool. Dude, I was pumped when I first heard, put that CD in and I was like, these are the songs I got to learn. And when I got to It's on Fire, I was like, oh, I can't wait to play this song. Yeah, it's a pretty iconic bass riff, you know? Key yeah. the right. Yeah. Ding, 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 yeah. Ding, ding. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, honestly, I haven't listened to that record and or that CD in, God, 10 years. I listened to it last week to do my homework for this. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I enjoy it. How soon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, you're getting popularity up in North. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you actually do a bigger tour off that? No, pretty much just West Coast um, mm-hmm. West Coast shows. I think the, the biggest, the big tour we did was the U.S. tour. I think that was off of. That was the main. That was off the LP, record. Yeah. The LP, right? Yeah, because we didn't even. The, Are you sure that was on the EP? Of, we just did West Coast. I don't. The, we only did the one. No, the self the self titled EP though. Yeah, we never did. We never did more than a West Coast. Or, okay, see, my memory's kind of bad. I think you things. did your tour right after the <clears throat> LP came out. Yes. Yeah. The only full U.S. tour we did was off of the LP. Yeah, yeah and that was thirty days. Yeah, it's a long one. But we got on some good shows. We were fortunate enough to play a week with Ten Yard Fight and landed on some pretty big shows. Yeah. Pretty eye-opening touring for that long. It, you know, you realize like you love your friends, but they can put you through mental hell in a van for thirty days. So oh, there's, there's great stories <laughs> from that one. Let's get to it. Let's go a little well, bit. I almost sent Don home on the first day oh. of tour. <laughs> yeah, let's let's talk about. Okay, well, tell, tell that tell that story so we don't forget. Dude, like we're like leading up to this tour, and Bert's having full-on conversations with me, like. If Don pisses me off, I'm going to put him on a plate. I'm going to put him on a plate. And so it's like he's already set himself up for this. Like he's just waiting for the... But we were, me and Don were friends. It's just we were both grumpy. And when two grumpy guys get together, it's not always like... They definitely know know each other's buttons. And we hadn't even made it to Texas yet. And there's this just big fallout between Don and Bert. He's like, you're going home. You're going home. Like... And it was like you knew it was only a matter of time, like that this happened, and and then from there, it pretty much, I, I don't, you know, that was after that event. There really wasn't a Don and Burt moment. Then it came down to everybody getting yeah. fights with Mertz, and yeah, I mean, but I, it, I even had it, you know, out with Dave one time, and like Dave's the hardest person to get in an argument with. <coughs> it was so, prob- probably the best experience I've ever had, though, and I miss it. I miss that stuff like dearly, you know. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get to it. Let's go a little yep. chronological. So, then we do the self-settled CD, mm-hmm. and that's when Aaron joins. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think that's the best release. Resurrection, put that out. Yeah, how did you meet up with them? Man, he. Uh, I think I just submitted some stuff to him, and, and <coughs> he hit us back and was like, "Yeah, I'll put out your CD." And you know, he he had bands like E Town on there and Hogan's Heroes. And he was in New Jersey. Label? Yeah, I mean he wasn't he was a he was a smaller label, but he was awesome. I mean he he really wanted us yeah, to really put that out it. with him. Like really bad. That was so a good label. They put out like a good cross section of things. Yeah. So we, we put that record out with them and, and <clears throat> you know, wrote that and that's probably one of my favorite recordings as well, even more than and knowing is half the battle, but um 
yeah, so we did that. And, you know, just like I said, you know, he, he sold a good amount. Back then it was, he was only doing CDs. I don't think, I know some of the bigger labels were pressing records, but I think a lot of people were sticking to CDs and stuff. And especially more of like the, the harder style music, it seemed like it'd be an American label would put out the CD and sometimes like a Euro label would put out the vinyl. Right, right, right. Like I think I have the E-Town record and it's on, the CD is on American label and yeah, vinyl from a Euro. Time like the Twenty Five to Life is kind of like that. Yeah. Time to Shine actually never came out on vinyl. The second one, uh, I don't know what the clouds. Second Coming, mm. yeah, that's the best one, by the way. Yeah, I wonder which one Resurrection put out. It had to be Time to Shine. Time to Shine. Yeah, yeah. I think they might have done the first two. I don't know. I have to. Check. I, I love that band. Well, I love the first two records, and then it got a little away from uh, what I like. Right, right. But yeah, so do you see? Is the popularity? The same after the no, so that are you getting even bigger? That rec- well, I mean, so that's when I we started noticing that we were starting to get people from the East Coast that were at the time it was like AOL chat rooms and stuff like sure. that. And I was talking to people from the East Coast, and you know, just the label only pressed a thousand of those CDs, and they sold a thousand CDs in like four months. So he pressed another one. So back then, if you're a small band from Cali and you sell a thousand CDs, you're like. How yeah. the hell did we do that? But yeah. I think the word just started spreading a little bit. You know, there was a little bit of, um, we were getting a little bit of run. Um, and I think that, you know, that's kind of what led up and got us onto the victory compilation. Um, yeah, you do a few comps around this time. Um, there was the NorCal compilation. The Actually, it was, it was a worldwide compilation, but I think it was done by a NorCal dude that our only way. Yeah, yeah. Our, like our Cal- own way. Our own way. Our own way. That comp California is fucking awesome. Comp. God, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. yeah, that one. And then there was a California hardcore comp. California right. Hardcore. The Call to Arms. And then the Victory. And those are all between the EP and the LP. I'm glad you remember that. Man, I forgot about the other two comps we did. And yeah. those are all awesome. And the Our Own Way has Turnaway, mm-hmm. the best version of it. That's great. We must have re-recorded it then. Well, you re-recorded it for the LP. Right. But I think so. That would have been the first version, right? Yeah, because you didn't put that song on the the only the strong was a different song. Yeah, that it was called faded. It was only for that compilation. Yeah, and it's weird, you know. So when we did that comp, we we had to sign like an eight page contract. But after the comp came out, like you know, we got an email from um, we got you know Tony Victory was kind of chatting us up about seeing what our plans were and what we were going to do. Kind of almost like gauging us like, Hey, do you want to maybe put some stuff out on victory? But well, he took NIV right around that same time. Yeah. Dave Kennedy didn't want to mess with, uh, uh, victory at the time. I, he, I he just didn't want to be on that label. A which, lot of people did and, and weren't happy with him. So who knows? Yeah. But for that time, I mean, that could have been a good, that it could have been, been a good move, move. but yeah. Me. So, you would have had vinyl out. <clears throat> we would have had vinyl out. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. So, same thing. You're just killing it here and killing it in NorCal. Yeah. And then you decide to do an LP. Yep. And who did the LP? Resurrection. Again. Yeah. So, do you get a bigger budget? Anything? They yeah. Gave, they gave us like $8,000. They gave you $8,000 yeah, to yeah. record? And we, yeah. So, that, first off, I thought was ridiculous. Because it's you're going into debt for it, though, right? You got you to recoup it and pay it back. Well, I mean, Not in theory, in theory, yeah. But he never said we didn't sign a contract with Resurrection. So you just get an eight thousand dollars budget, and that's how yeah, you so go to West Beach. 
Yeah. Yeah, West Beach, but <laughs> see, so here's my yeah, theory on that. Mr. Listen, <laughs> I didn't want to record at West Beach. Why? I wanted to record with one of the bigger hardcore producers mm-hmm. to give us that sound because, yeah, I mean, the guy who recorded us, Donnell Cameron, you know, Pennywise, Bad Religion, that's great. Yeah. We don't sound like that. Right. And that record ended up sounding like that. It was thin. It had no, to me, the guitars were really thin and didn't have crunch or anything. So I was kind of... Well, it was a little... That record's a little of the times that, like, it's post-Bane blowing up, and so there's lots of octaves. And that's Very take, melodic. That's going to take away some of the meat. Yeah. But it's a different sound. It's not that it sounds weak <clears throat> or thin. Well, and then yeah. at this time, Dave wrote 90% Everything. of that record. Where yeah. The EP was still mostly, I think, Donnie writing... Yeah. So just totally different writing yeah. styles. Yeah. And I like melodic hardcore, and I think at the time we were doing that, it wasn't a popular time for melodic hardcore. That's no, sure. no, no. I would say that like Bane broke it wide open, or like Shy Haludes, but these are both bands that are uh, they also go the heavy way. They as did well. go the heavy way. And like, so you guys would actually, yeah, you guys are kind of unique in that way of like being like a more melodic hardcore band and yeah. not being super heavy. But I mean, hey, recording at West Beach, I love Bad Religion. Yeah, you know me what too. I mean? The first Pennywise uh, yeah. seven inch, I own it. I love it. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm not gonna lie. And so recording there was awesome. The guy, you know, he's a genius at recording. Um, but yeah, we got an eight thousand dollar budget, and I was just like, it blew me away, right? Yeah. And he's like, hey, I'm gonna pay for your recording. I'm like, okay, I'm thinking, you know, a couple thousand dollars is all your budget is eight eight thousand. I'd go to for the record and then go on vacation. Yeah, exactly. We could have <laughs> recorded in someone's basement and well, bought yeah, all. Yeah. So West Wind is like this small little studio, and then we go up there, and it's like, wow, I, I could play, you know, game of basketball or something. Like, yeah. The thing is huge. Yeah. It's crazy how much that stuff has changed, though, because then if you wanted to try to attempt to have a good recording, you did have to go to, like, a, a bigger, legit studio. Yeah. And now there's so many kids that... Pro Tools. That, yeah, that have built <laughs> out their own Yeah, well, that record was recorded analog. Yeah. Right? yeah still. I still love analog. Yeah. But so you're like not going to really... Inch. It costs a lot to, yeah, to record on it. Yeah, on analog now. So, But yeah, no, that was that was a great experience, I think, for all of us. I mean, and that's when we really started feeling good. I just How long did you take to record it? Three days, I think. No, we were there like a week. Was it? Yeah. Jesus. It was a See, week. I'm terrible with... It's like a single day getting drum sounds. Dude, I... I it had to be more than one day for drums. It yeah. was totally overwhelming. Yeah. And we did spend one going, full like, day You're on really drums. You're a really good drummer, and I'm like, stop blowing smoke. <laughs> Dude, recording <laughs> with headphones is the hardest thing for me. Okay. So it's I was like, every time I had to record, I had to put on headphones. I hated it. Like, yeah. So. Well, why do you need to? Well, I started just trying to put them around my neck, and well, because they would play the, you know, they'd have. The oh yeah, 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 yeah. Like you gotta listen to the, yeah, then, the scratch track. Yeah, and then they, you know, sometimes you use the t- the timer, and yeah, stuff like that, the and, metronome. Yeah, so you just can't get around it sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I I remember <clears throat> the only way I used to like to be able to record was live, mm-hmm. and it didn't happen then, and. So when I'm with the headphones and recording, like at the time, I was I was struggling bad Dude, with like everybody get out of the room. Nobody yeah. look at well, me. Well, no, but like, we were not allowed like, to be anywhere right. near Bert when it was time for. But I don't talk about it a lot, but I got really bad anxiety and, and yeah. like borderline, you know, like real panic attacks recording. Yeah. So that's why, if you notice all the albums, my voice is not the same. Yeah, it's yeah. different each. Yeah, it's just really was weird when I was dealing with anxiety and stuff over all those years 
it affected the way I recorded. And yeah, I was like, that, get out of the room, you know, and they're yeah. all making fun of me. And I'm, that's normal though. I'm inside struggling, yeah, dude, yeah, yeah. sweating and just, he would play it back and I'd just be like, oh my God, it sounds like shit. Like, well, it's so you know, hard singing because yeah. it's like, you don't know how your voice is going to sound on that day until you go and lay it down a little bit. And then even then from when you start singing, your voice is going to change. So you got to kind of lay yeah. down, lay down a few songs and then like, that's kind of where your voice is right. going to be. And then you got to hope that it holds up. You know, and it's it's terrifying. I can't yeah. imagine doing singing with having, like, anxiety. Yeah, stuff. yeah. You know, and like, I mean, it wasn't, like, anxiety just from recording. I would just have anxiety because I had, you know, I was dealing with that stuff. Like, sure. for no reason, just to have panic attacks or whatever and stuff. Yeah, um, but that'll give a normal person a panic attack. Like, yeah. being in there <laughs> trying to get done. Yeah. yeah, you're in that little closet, you know, and it's hot. And, yeah. You know. And, and, and it's you know hot. everybody's listening, you know. Yeah. Like, that's like the same way with the drum. You're just like, if I make one little... I know. And, yeah, uh, drumming is a great example because I've seen it with Matt. And, you know, it's like you want to get another good... You want to get a little bit better take out of him, but it's like he's getting more tired. Getting tired. You know, yeah. he's getting inside his head, and, like, we just can't get past this one fill. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, I've talked about it on the pod before. It's... Drumming back then was totally different than now because now you can punch in anywhere. Oh, yeah. Which oh, is yeah. fucking pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. so pathetic, dude. I, yeah. I actually think that I had that capability at that, that one. At West Beach. One. And he's like, yeah, I'll just I'll just bring you in at this point. I'm like, wait, well, I don't have to start all over? Oh, you know, insane. where the previous... Because yeah. I had never recorded until I got with, with uh, Built to Last. So it was mm-hmm. a whole new experience. But I remember at West Wind just... There was one song and I I couldn't nail it. Yeah, and you get you get frustrated yeah. and then you're tired and it's just and you have everybody looking at you just like, yeah, you know they're, they're trying to be supportive but they're irritated. Yeah, like, I just I had a hiccup. You're, I mean, I think your drumming is probably above average with a lot of hardcore bands. Like honestly, not just because he's my best friend. He's to me, he's one of the. He's one of the top drummers back in that that time, and I just you know I don't think he got a lot of credit for it, but he was solid. He was solid every time we played. That only cost me five bucks. We dropped talent. You, dropped you, know, your- you know how you know how bad the hardcore scene needs good drummers. So what are you doing, dude? Yeah. Well, you always kept time. Everybody always asked. You would if miss you were a drummer. You got asked every show if you wanted to do a another project because. Yeah. yeah, you'd miss you'd miss a symbol every once in a while. Dude, or drop a I, stick. I missed three symbols at my I like that <laughs> I remember what I remember. What show was it? Speaking just real quick, you must have dropped your sticks like six times. Oh, every I mean, every it was show. just like woo flying out oh, of his yeah. hand. I'm looking back on. But I hit so hard that like you I did. break sticks so often. He like, had the little thing. You can quick draw. Oh yeah, it was right. Oh, like, he was good though. But he would keep time with just like yeah. one stick in the bass drum or something. Yeah. And it was just like. <laughs> yeah, it was constant with me losing sticks and breaking them, and when Bert wasn't looking, throwing them at him and stuff. <laughs> yeah, with keeping time with the one, that's crazy. When uh, in control, we six weeks did a CD of ours where we re-recorded the the demo on the seven inch, and when we were done with the entire thing, the guy that engineered for us now, Armo, he's actually really good now, um, but he deleted one of the snare tracks on one of the songs, and it was like. What are, what are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do? Oh my and so God. Tony had to go in and literally 
do the snare, wow. which is so hard because yeah. you have to like lead in all the fills. Yep. So he's going da 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 la la, thinking do da 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 da. It was crazy. He pulled it off. Yeah, luckily it was a very straightforward song where he did like very basic fills all the way through. Just one song. Just one song. I was having panic attack. Oh god, no! You can't do the whole record. The whole record we would have to start over. Yeah. But one song and it was very basic and it came out like no one ever noticed. Yeah. It just sounds a little phlegmy in like one part. It sounds like he's almost doubling it because, yeah. I mean, it it's is. It's a great story. Yeah. I love hearing stuff like that. Just like the the horrors. It, of it must drive me insane too because I can't. I cannot listen to our recordings because I pick out stuff that I did wrong. Yeah. So it's like the, I can't just listen to the music. I'm just still listening to my drums going. I could have done that better. Yeah. I done, what was I thinking? Yeah. You know, like. <clears throat> Yeah, you can't get too inside your head about that. It's like a, it's a time and a place. It's like a tattoo, right? Yeah. Like you, like almost everything you have, you would change it a little bit or place it a little different or something. But yeah. no, it's rock, like no rock rats. Like seriously, yeah. <laughs> like no, we got we got more misspelled tattoos than that yeah. one, right? <laughs> uh, recording was always mentally draining for me because I was just so nervous. Yeah, I think it's mentally draining. God, for everybody. Was, I was excited about it, but I wasn't excited about the actual recording of it. You know yeah. what I mean? It just was... You're, like, excited when you get there and when you finish. Yeah. Like, or when it's time to go get lunch. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. that's about it. But when it's just, like, you just... Or as the drummer, we were always first, so it's, like, as soon as you're done, you're just, like... Yeah, you, know, you just sit back on the couch. You know, now you can critique everybody. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Make fun of everyone. Yeah. You, you would always, like... You, several times you would, like, push the speaker button and say something smart-ass to us or, <laughs> you know... <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, being nervous in the studio is just you care about what you're doing and you hope that it gets laid down right. For sure. You know, that's all it is. Right. I think that if, if you're not nervous, that means you don't care about your art. Yeah. You know, or you just have next level confidence, which right, right, you're right. probably lying. Right. You know. Yeah, but it was just like, yeah, I got this. <laughs> yeah. Hey, well, for the second Retaliate record, I did all my vocals in four hours. So, nice. What's up? <laughs> Four hours. That was at the peak of that my was skills. Like one song for Bert. <laughs> yeah, it, it would be. Dude. I remember. I remember one day I just was like, "All right, I'm done for the day." Like I just couldn't. Like you, when you're recording, I don't know if it happened to you, but your voice cracks, you know, and then your vocals start getting. Then you're getting tired. Everything's yeah. not sounding good. But yeah, I pulled it off. I think I did vocals in seriously one day, wasn't it? I did. I don't remember. I think it was like eight hours. I did them in. Yeah, for that album. So yeah. So after that, you do your first tour. Yeah. Um, do you book it? Does the label book it? Who does it? So I booked some of it, but um, I reached out to um, a booking agent. Her name's Bonnie. Super nice. She booked, I think, 13 of the shows. Okay. <clears throat> and those were all the, you know, we played, I think we played with like six, six shows with 10 Yard Fight. Mm-hmm. Played a show with Strung Out. Okay. Um, which there's a funny story behind that one. But um, so we played with Strung Out. And, you know, we played, most of the shows were solid. Yeah. You know, there was a couple, we didn't know what to expect. There was a couple where it was just like, damn, this is terrible. Well, you start but, by going, you go out Arizona, you go out Vegas, and you go north. I think first show New Mexico. No, Arizona. Arizona? That okay. Was, that, well, was the, that, that was the cockroach in like... hair house. All right, yeah. well, let's go cockroach in hair house. What happened? <laughs> yeah, so we played a show in Arizona and... These two really nice, you know, um, a, a girl and a guy was like, hey, you know, do you because we would always we, we'd be like, hey, we're looking for a place to stay because if we can avoid 
having to use the record label credit card to get a hotel. Sure. We didn't want to spend all of his money, but he gave us a credit card for emergencies. Um, yeah, and this was back way before social media, so you couldn't pre-plan this stuff out. Right, no, right. Sure. So they the said, hey, you know, you can stay at our house. And we're like, yeah, cool, you know, and it's 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 the summer. It's yeah. like a fucking 150 degrees oh, yeah. outside, right? Yeah. So we get to their house. So there's no air conditioning. All right, I can live with that. They're in Arizona, though, with no air conditioning. Yeah. Not that worked. I slept Jesus. in the van. Well, we both yeah. slept in the van. I'll get to that. But I went in to use the bathroom, and I turn on the light, and it's like a house of horrors. Ugh. There's like cut hair all over the ground. Well, was Huge. It and I hate cockroaches. I'm yeah. talking finger-sized motherfuckers running around. Wow. Turned off the light, went there, and I go, I'm yeah, sleeping I remember. in the van. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not sleeping in there. I'm sleeping in the van. And I'm like, I'm not sleeping there either. Yeah. So we... Well, why would anyone sleep there? We went and slept in the van. I think we even left it on like almost all night with Dude, the air conditioner. Yeah. So yeah, that was our first show on tour. The show was good. Yeah. And you know, you you respect people for letting you stay at uh, their house. So I'm not trying to be like, oh, I'm too good for that. But no, it, was, it was gnarly. Well, man. if you're sleeping on the floor, you got to draw the line at roaches, right? Yeah. So, well, there is another place that I we had to draw the line. Is that the cat piss house? Cat piss house. <laughs> yeah, that was gnarly. Too. We stayed in one of those and like. Western New York, I think it was one time, and it was uh, it was weird, man. Like the place still like kind of haunts me. We was on because you know you play the show and then you go to like this kid's crash pad after the show, so you don't really know what the surroundings are, and it felt like we were driving like way too far, you know. And then it was like his, it was just him and his dad. They lived on this like abandoned farm. Oh, it was like gosh. going under because like I don't know their crops weren't good anymore, and uh, the house is just generally cat pissy and cat hairy and whatever no big deal we're gonna sleep there right we got sleeping bags whatever the fuck ever but uh to use the restroom the restroom was upstairs and you went upstairs and it was this like weird narrow hallway that was like slightly leaning and it was like Straight i didn't know it was like yeah it was just like this slight lean so it was just Creepy. It led to a know? murder room, probably. <laughs> probably. You lucked you out. Know? Yeah, you and that's straight out of a horror. Yeah, movie. and then like, yeah, the next, like, none of us said anything. And then like the next day, it was like, "Hey, did you take a piss last night?" Yeah, like, dude, that fucking house is terrifying, right? Like, yeah, dude. You know. So Arizona, then you go to you make it to Texas. I no, Arizona, no, New Mexico. We play Austin. I thought New Mexico was definitely on. The- yeah, no, New Mexico would be next. Yeah. So you, you got a memory from that show? I don't. I don't have a memory yeah. from that I, show. I really... See, the first week, like, most of our shows, a lot of our shows got canceled. Oh. So it's like, we got to Texas, and then we found that the, the, that show was going to be at, like, starting at, like, midnight or something. Oh. And so we were like, if we play this show, then the, the next show was in Florida. Jesus. So we were like, that's a two-day drive. Good you know, job, so, Bert. Yeah. What well, kind of tour is this? I was a rookie then. I never booked a tour. I was doing this shit on AOL chat rooms. Yeah. Right, man. So this was the notorious Don and uh, Bert fight, you know. Uh, so, but then we opted to just, we bailed on that show because we thought the Florida one was going to be better. And we get all the way to Florida and we find out that the show got canceled. <laughs> so, you know, like by then, like, you know, we all like rolled on tour with like a hundred bucks each. You yeah. Know, we thought, you know, where it's going to last us. And by the time we got to Florida, everybody had spent all their money trying to eat and stuff like that. So, yeah. Like, but luckily we got to the East coast and things started looking up a little bit. Yeah. We literally, we, we were allowed a $5 a day allowance mm-hmm. and 
most of us, unless there was food at the show, ate once a day. And I Taco remember Bell, to be I ate, I ate Burger King for almost every meal, and I knew it down to. And it was funny because every place I went, it was off by like five or ten cents, depending on the tax. Yeah. So I was always like trying to borrow, like because <laughs> it was like. This, I got the same meal every time in it. Yeah. Like it was five bucks. And yeah. I'm like borrowing like five cents from people, <laughs> ten cents from people to pay the tax. Yeah. Like, so, but it's still, but when, and then when there was like free food, it was like game on. Yeah. Like fighting for it. You yeah. Know, like. Yeah. It, it was rough at first, but you know, we ended up getting to the East Coast and, you know, we had a show cancellation and then we were able to jump on a show with Reach the Sky and 10 Yard Fight. Where at? Virginia. I yeah, was it Virginia? No, yeah, Virginia so, was the strung out show. I'm okay. pretty sure. Yeah. What what state has so long? Dude, ago. it's so long ago. I can't. I might not be able to give exact accounts of what state, but all I remember is like a hundred kids during ten yard fight picking up change, dude. It was. I was like, wow, because I'd never seen this shit on the West Coast. Was, was it like, when they were saying straight edge brothers in the pit together, right? yeah. singing <laughs> straight edge anthems together. Dude. We're all friends. If you're not high, <laughs> no one will go home with a black eye. So what album were they? Or they were what in '99. Uh, it's probably the LP. No, back on track is '98. It'd either be their LP or they did one EP after yeah. that. Yeah, I just well, remember though there was a hundred kids, whatever you want to call, it, picking up chain well, or first... punching or whatever, and I was just like, I was like, this is what I want. This is like I want kids reacting like that. Was. They were so catchy. Our yeah. first big show was definitely when we got to New Jersey and played that indoor skate park place mm. because that's where the record label was based out of. So, like, there was all these kids just ready to, to watch us. So I think that was. The we sold show. a lot of merch too. Yeah, we were like, like, these kids are here for us. Yeah, it was. And they strange. were. <laughs> it was crazy. Who else was on that show? You remember? Hogan's Heroes. Okay. Um, that's the only band I remember from the record label. No, no other big like you know there was no big bigger hardcore. Was it Hogan's Heroes there? Would have been OS One Hundred One. Oh, it might have been OS. That sounds familiar. Yeah, because they did like that record on Victory right around that time. Weird band. Yeah. Yeah. So we played that show, and then I believe like the next day we drove all the way out to like the most east end of PA, and we played this uh, skate park again, and the whole <laughs> this show was fully advertised of. Come see Rob Mertz play in Built to Last. <laughs> so there's like 500 kids there. I, I kid you not. We're like, wow, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. They all just wanted to see Rob skate. And Rob didn't want to skate. Uh, so when we go and play, we played for the other band on the band, bill. And then when they played, <laughs> we watched them. Yeah. None of the kids ever came into the show. Oh, they that's crazy. To see <laughs> just to was see that Rob. the show where the band before us was like, hey, we do New Direction too. We're going to play that song. No, that oh. was when we played in Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah, okay. that was another skate park we played. Yeah, we played some skate parks. Yeah, yeah I remember that one. <laughs> That's hilarious, though. We played it way better. Did they know? <laughs> they knew. They knew that you were yeah, playing they it, were so straight they up, hey, we're going to play this song, and we're like... Because that, that was our go-to song on tour, because the, we'll the Gorilla Biscuits were broke up at that point, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, they were. They weren't yeah. playing shows. They were. So they did that reunion we, stuff in like, what, 01 or 02? Yeah, or that's why we covered that No, they song. did it like right when I moved down here. It was like two, uh, 2011 or something. They definitely yeah, were. Was, they weren't together when we were it was way after covering way that way song. Yeah. And that was our go-to. That was our bread and butter on tour. Yeah. You play that song, you're getting action, right? Yeah, plus you play it like Slayer style. And, Super fast. <laughs> so this band, I, I don't remember the name. 
they said, hey, uh, we know you play the Gorilla Biscuits cover uh, and we're going to play it too. And I was just like, what do you say to that? Like, no. I was like, okay, cool. And they sure as hell did it. And I didn't even recognize the song. Yeah. So I was like, oh, good. It was terrible. We're still going to play it, Dave. She's like, I don't want to know if we should play this. Fuck yeah, we're still going to play it. So, but yeah, the, um, the, the show's definitely got better on the East Coast. Of course. Um, we played a show in Queens with not bigger, bigger bands, just like local bands and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, that was the show where the guy asked if he could borrow my microphone. Do you remember that? No. Why? Did you bring your own mic? I brought my own mic on tour. Oh. Because I like to use my, you know, I don't want to get sick or whatever. So I figure if I have my own mic, but the story gets. But better. everyone's lips are on it when you're passing the mic. I know, but just I don't know. Yeah, no, that's cool. No one was really singing along on those shows. When I when I when I did Somali and I was playing guitar, I would use like that clown nose because I didn't because then you really got to be up on it when you're playing guitar. Yeah, and I didn't want my lips on someone else's mic. Right, right. I was probably a germaphobe, but this guy's like, hey, you know, can. I borrow your mic you know we, we the mic's broke I go yeah 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 this guy was deep throating my mic <laughs> Good, <laughs> no it was like in his mouth when he was yeah. singing he was sweating I was just like fuck yeah you see him like swinging it like this all chaotic he wasn't oh. swinging it he was just eating my microphone so I had to I remember after the show I had to take it apart I'm like trying to clean it out and stuff but Queens was kind of we did. That's the only show we played in New York, and it was good. You know, that we was got, a strange. Show. That was the first time that I learned that there was like fads in hardcore about like clothing. Okay, like they were like kids are like all wearing like Nautica and stuff, and I was just like, what's what's going on here? Like, <laughs> it's so weird. I felt out of place. Like yeah. and like people were trying to explain to me now. Oh, that's what's in out here. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, do you go get my Nautica gear? Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember where the Ten Yard Fight show started? No, yeah, I'm terrible. Do uh, I can remember? It's like that. kind of Midwest over to Seattle. I thought. Yeah, it was definitely as. Oh, you played your way back. back with them. Yeah, so we went. Yeah. We went down, up, and back. Yeah, through kind of the middle. Well, and then there yeah. was what's the band that we played like Washington and Seattle Downshift or something like that. Oh, Downshift. yeah. I Down, oh, Downshift from NorCal. I think they so. did yeah. a split. They did a split with Strength by Strength. I think yeah. it was that. Those guys were super yeah. cool. But we we you know we went up and down like the mid states and and I think some like a couple shows got canceled and we tried to get on the Saves the dude, Day show. But almost I I swear we played ten skate parks like and we played this one show. Remember the band? I think it was called like the Hardcore Motherfuckers. Oh yeah, and there was like this girl. <laughs> yeah, singer, dude, she was dude. badass. Though. The name like, of the band was the Hardcore Motherfuckers. Yeah, it's where was that? I don't remember, but she says she's like. She's like, yeah, I used to be a cheerleader, but then I got introduced to the cheeseburger. Yeah. <laughs> and like the song was like, move, move, move this motherfucker. <laughs> it was fucking hilarious. She was down for her shit, though. Oh, she was dude, super she nice, was, too. She'd kick your ass. Dude. Some of the stuff you come across on tour is just the like hardcore classic. motherfuckers. We did play like, Nebraska or some shit. Yeah, it was definitely in the yeah. Middle States. But getting back She's to a the juggalo East now. Coast. Probably. <laughs> we played with Strung Out. That was and, Virginia. Yeah, and we almost beat their ass after the show. Do you remember that? We'll tell the story. Bert's always trying to beat somebody up. No, no Bert it wasn't me. It was Bert Dave Kennedy. Bert hasn't told a single story about beating anyone up. No, it was Dave Kennedy. Okay, so, so what happened we played with Strung Out. We played at a bar. Uh, it was all ages. Um, <clears throat> and Strung Out was taking pop shots at Straight Edge. 
on stage, uh, and we were like, uh, oh, okay, they know we're straight edge, you know, and... Um, well, well, some of us were. I don't think all of us were straight edge at the time. Everyone was straight edge at the oh, time. Oh, I can't remember when that happened. Yeah, Freddie, Dave, you, okay. me, and Rob Mertz. Yeah, we were all straight edge. We never said we were a straight edge yeah, band, we were, but we were all straight edge. Um, so they were just talking shit about straight edge and they were directing it towards us. And I just remember Dave Kinney going like, I'm going to fucking, we're going to fuck those guys. Let's go out and fucking kick their ass or whatever. And we go outside and they're in their fucking big tour bus, huge tour bus. And I just remember them throwing trash out the window, Uh like pizza boxes and like, yeah, you were just being just just outside, just being obnoxious. We we didn't end up getting in a fight with them, but it it came close because they were, you know, they were, Taking pop shots at it. That was a good show. There was a lot of fucking people there. there. Yeah. So there was a famous skater in the band? I never knew this. Rob Mertz for a minute. Oh. He's pretty big. He skated for Zorlac. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah, I didn't know that. He was one of the guitarists? Yeah, he played guitar after, I believe, after Donnie left. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, we brought him in as a second guitarist, and then Freddie switched to bass. Like, if we ever did a reunion show, I would want Rob Mertz to do it. Yeah. And then Freddie switched <clears throat> off bass to guitar again when you got Scott. Yes. Yeah, later on, then, then Rob didn't play with, and then it was Freddie and, and Dave on guitar. And yeah, Rob got kicked bass. out of the band. And there was like 10 bass players in between then, yeah. too. So. <laughs> why, did, why did you kick Rob out of the band? I, I didn't. Dave did. For, Dave just never liked They just never, they never got a line of eye on music. Yeah. They, every time, and I could see how it was frustrating for Rob, because every time he showed us a song, Dave just kind of put the kibosh on it. Yeah, I mean, not even try to work with it, right? Yeah, and and you know whatever because the stuff that Rob was bringing us sounded like Strife, and we're like, all right, dude, we're not a Strife band, but he was trying, right? He was trying yeah. to write music, and I was yeah. like, well, can we do anything to these riffs? Yeah. Let's work on it. Yeah, you can work just... it into a breakdown or something, but but sometimes when someone just brings a riff in, and you know what you want to do with the band is just Dave. I'm sorry, Dave man. made it clear he was the songwriter. Yeah. Which is, you know, I, yeah, and one of the songs on the, the LP I wrote, so mm-hmm. I, I don't know how I snuck that in. I won't say which one it was, though. Yeah, which one was it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember it, so it was like, that probably went over real well on the microphone. I think that's Broken Backs. That's the Overrunner Body song. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, are you finding that people are connecting with Built to Last? Like, in, different spots out there like do they know your as songs as we got back towards the west coast I think more besides like Jersey was like the home away from home it seemed like do they, they knew some of the songs we had kids singing along not a whole lot yeah I mean it was our first tour right sure um, well first and only but I, yeah. well right but on the east coast at least yeah. yeah but I noticed when I got back because we were like we're going again yeah I booked like two weeks worth of shows in like three days. Yeah. So it was coming. Yeah, so to- demand was there. It was coming together. Yeah. You know, we were able to get on shows with Ensign, um, mm-hmm. just bigger shows, right? Yeah. Um, and it was coming together. And then that's when it just, out of nowhere, right we're, le- we're leaving the band. Yeah. Okay. So you want to tell that story? Yeah. I mean, I- who got it wrong? I don't think a lot... I mean, I think people have their theories on why Built to Last broke up, but I don't think they were in the band, and I don't think they know exactly what transpired. So the breakup took me by total surprise. Okay. There was never talk of, we're getting tired of the band, maybe we should play a last show, let's break up, whatever. So I started booking this next tour for us on the East Coast. Yeah. 
And then <clears throat> I don't exactly remember when it happened or the phone call, but, you know, Dave and Freddie had been working on another band called I Astronaut, which I didn't, I don't think any of us knew about. No, I, I mean, I knew about it. So Freddie had, Freddie had met up with this guy who had made this song and it got played on like whatever that rock station is up in LA, like K-Rock. K-Rock. And like, so there was like people interested. And so Freddie somehow got hooked up with them and then he was, he was playing with them. And then at some point Dave got in on it. Um, if I had my facts right. And, um, you know, every week I was hearing that they were like going to be playing in front of some big producer yeah, or like, something like that. And do so, showcases or whatever. Showcases. Showcases. Because they were just, you know, which wanted to be, you know. They wanted to, they wanted to do it as a career and I don't fault yeah. them for that. Yeah. The way it went down was a little suspect to me and, and stuff. And, you know, I mean, it's to this day, I don't think, I know I joke around with Aaron a lot. I, I don't have complete closure with that band because we worked hard. We worked hard for five years and then we were there. I felt like, you know, the record was selling good. You know, um, I think in six months we had sold like 3,500 CDs and it was just rolling. And then that like knife hitting you was just like, well, uh, and I, fuck? and I had a big, um, part in just calling it quits. Cause it got to a point where it was, we were now second fiddle and you know, I, I I don't remember if we did, but second field to who to, the, to that other to band. that oh, to their side pro- the new, the new like, project. This is all that they were talking about in the yeah. interest, and you know, I think at some point Bert and I may have had a discussion like if they were to leave, like you know, we could get we could fill their spots. But I think at that point, get Merce back and hit those strife songs, dude. I was so over the fact, like I'm not even the original <laughs> drummer, you know? So yeah. it's like, it's literally Bert and nobody else, you yeah. know? So, well, stop there as far as not being the original drummer. Well, he may have not been on every recording, but in my eyes, he's an original built to last member. Yeah. but Because that, he, I, he, well, no, you're an original member. I appreciate that. You're not like, Oh, just cause I didn't play on the fucking shitty demo. You know what I mean? Like, you're an original seen. member, so I don't believe what. Go but ahead, it, it just that, no, that doesn't count, Bert. <laughs> we gotta keep it real. If you didn't play on the first CD, you're not an original member. But <laughs> like, I mean, at this point, we've had at least five bass players. Sure. We've had multiple guitar players, and it was just kind of it was just time, you know. And it's unfortunate because we had only just put out the LP, not and only toured once on it, and and. Bert's right. There was hype on it, you know, and we always we always played a good show, and 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 I was really proud of that record. I I Bert doesn't like it. He'll say he doesn't like it a lot of times, and I really liked that song. But I like more melodic stuff. Yeah, I mean, no, I like it. I just know if I if I ever repre if I repressed it on record, it would be remastered a little bit. Yeah, not to give it like Bert wants to put it out. Yeah, well, no, I do. I want to re-release that, but I want to also do it coincide with one show. Yeah. In San Diego at the Shade. I and I to, don't think it's going to happen. I want you to put out the powerhouse, no regrets. So bad. That's like, it would do. It wouldn't sell 500 though, huh? Or could it? That record's got to be on vinyl. It's like the best record of the 90s. Yeah. You know? Powerhouse I don't know. I mean, it's it, like, it's the most ridiculous record there is. Like, the drumming on it is so insane. Yeah. Because he's doing this beat, the cheat beat, you know? But he's doing the. Uh, like the no effects, do that, 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 with like the cheap punk beat. Right, yeah. It's like the illest. Like no, when, we, good... when we talk about like, you couldn't go in and remake Loyalty and Betrayal right now. It's like, 
you can never remake that record. It right. sounds like nothing else, yeah. you know? And they're, like, hanging on the chords for a long time, but it's, like, hard, you know? Like, I don't know. It's an untouchable record. No, it's a great record. And, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, if we ever get to a point to where we can put stuff out that we're unsure of, I mean, I would love to release something from Powerhouse. Like, those were those were our good friends back then. Yeah. No, I we know. Like, well, yeah, you know, Powerhouse, Hoods, and Milt to Last were my favorite bands of that time. And Ignite. But uh, it was a uh, it was a little different. I knew all you guys, <laughs> but you know, yeah. I never met the night dudes. Anyway, I never knew you guys drove up to see us, and then you know during the week and left. That's amazing. I thought that kind of made me feel good. Yeah, when you talked about that, I was like, yeah, I was like, wow. Yeah, I think that was warm and fuzzies. That happened like twice. I think it was like there was one Empire Club show, and then I think it was you guys played with Good Clean Fun. At the Shea. At the Shea, yeah. And I was like, well, I don't need to see that. <laughs> you know? We played some random shows. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just hate Joe Hardcore. I think it's sorry. Oh, like just kind of making fun of... Yeah. I don't know. It's like, go do a different genre, like for joke stuff, you know? So... I, I never could get into that band. I, I mean, do you like Crucial Youth? Not really. It's like, who cares, you know? Yeah. Or like, yeah, and Good Clean Fun, same thing. Like, it's just sorry. Right. You know? I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. People, I mean, it's cool that people want to have fun and enjoy things. <clears throat> so, what happened to iRobot? Or what's the band? I, I asked for, I asked for that. that. Nothing ever happened. I think they just kept trying. And then, I, I mean, at this point, like, we kind of just have moved on from them. So, I, I don't think that we were, you know, talking about it as much. Like, I, I think people were bummed out that it happened. And then I, I think roughly at this time is when I started doing Over My Dead Body and just turned all my focus to that. Yeah, and then how does that make you feel, Bert? Do you feel betrayed that, like... Not from him, no. I mean, it's... But it is him, and it's... it's. Well, I don't Dave. think there is... The way that some people try to tell the story is like, oh, well, you know, we recruited Aaron to play. It wasn't like that. Like, if if there was a chance that... Like, if if, if Freddie would have left, we would have had Bill to last still. Yeah. Like, if Dave, me, and him were there. But mm-hmm. I think the fact that Dave was gone... And, no, I never... I never felt betrayed. I think some of the ways some of the, some other people tell the stories of how we broke up is they don't know, you know, they weren't in the rooms when we were talking afterwards. Well, well, do you feel like you've represented the breakup now? What do you mean? Like, Like, do you feel like you've set the record straight? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, you know, like I said, I I would love my, my goal is to try to get Dave Kennedy to play one show with us because people want it. There's, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, I, I find random stuff, you know, younger hardcore kids that I don't even know in San Diego posting like old photos of our shirts that they're buying. And yeah, yeah I mean, if I if I did a press of the the uh, and knowing is half the battle, you know, we're probably not going to sell 500, but I think it would do good. And I think playing one show would be maybe I'm just being what's the word? It would be closure for me if I could just play one show with Aaron, Dave Kennedy and a couple of the other guys, mm-hmm. it would be awesome. Because it would be great. People would show up and it would be fun. Yeah. I think that would be true clothing for me. It would sell me. if we did, you know, the we silkscreen the the logo right on the record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, it's... it's Sell Hunter the show for he's sure. He's moved yeah. on. He's buying a drum set again, though. So I'm like, hmm. Uh-oh. So we're like, he's just getting ready he for me. He wants to do Built to Last 3.0 because I don't know if you remember 2.0. But. <laughs> yeah, we put out the 7-inch. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, so you break up, and that would have been what year? 
2000? Like 2000, 2001. Yeah, so it was right at the start of Over My Dead Body. And let's, just to put it out there, like, I had never planned on leaving Built to Last to play in Over My Dead Body. I just wanted to play guitar. Yeah, it was just... Yeah, so you would have done both. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure I was starting Over My Dead Body, and Built to Last hadn't broken up yet. Yeah, I think they overlapped. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there was an overlap. And I had no intention of leaving Built to Last, because I I love playing the drums, Mm -hmm. you know? So it it just got to a point where I just was kind of over it. I didn't want to be second fiddle. And and I could see that Dave just didn't have much interest in it anymore. Yeah. Like he, he wanted to make it big in music. Like that's what he wanted to do. And that's awesome. Now and he's doing he with angels it, and airways you know, again. So I get it. You know, my biggest was Wait, Dave or Freddie? Dave. Dave. But Freddie never got to do anything. No, I actually just saw Freddie at the GB. And that was like the first time I think I've seen him since the last built to last show. So it was weird. And it was just kind of like, Hey, Freddie, I was like, oh, yeah. you know, but, He's working and stuff, and and you know I'm bummed that those friendships aren't there anymore. Like I I don't have zero contact with Dave. You know I made an attempt. You know like I got his number and I sent him a couple text messages, like group texts and stuff, and he didn't reply. So it's like you know I only try so much to stay. In well, you got to do like a San Diego hardcore barbecue once a year or something. Yeah, right. and you invite everyone. Yeah, you know, I mean there there should be something to like. You should be at least acquaintances. You have so much history together. No, Seriously, but like, I think everybody is still though. I, yeah. I mean, we were at Heartwork. I saw Don, Rob, Audie, Moran, like all those guys, you know. And and you know, I get it, you know. But Dave just he disappeared. He he's not around. He doesn't contact us. He doesn't call us. And I'm I don't, I don't get that. I'm gonna call him soon because I gotta get him on thing. the pod. Like, he might say the same thing that oh well, Aaron and Bird never made an attempt to you know, but like I ran into him like when uh, Sam and Chrissy got married and <coughs> what, they had the reception at, at there, and then I talked with Dave and it was awesome. And I could have sworn he was at your reunion show. No, he showed he, up. He, he but was it wasn't there. really a reunion show. It, it was, was Bert, it was built to last 2.0. No, then he was at the Over My Body reunion show. No, well, he, he played in Over My Dead Body. But did he play Dead. on the, at that show? No, he didn't play. He didn't play at, at your union show. No, when we he was out, just there. That's the last time I saw him. I no, he showed up to the built to last one too. Okay, yeah. I mean, it was just me and Aaron and some kids who grew up listening to us. Yeah, so that gets back together in two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah. Who do you recruit? Uh, Tommy, kid named Tommy. Um, he grew up going to built to last shows. Brandon. Well, those were all kids that you played in Safe Inside with, right? Yeah, but that was after Built to Last. But yeah, but they were all, they went to Built to Last shows. That's how I knew them. I thought that was after the, okay. So we just kind of got together and we're like, dude, let's play some old songs, write a new seven inch and just, you know, have fun. Yeah. It was nothing serious, you know. Were you on that, Aaron? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, But that, that show we played, the first time we played back at the Shea was insane. That was super rad. God, I was like, wow. Yeah. Do you think if you would have just done that one show, you would have felt like a little more closure than you have now? If it was with Dave Kennedy. Yeah, I got you. It needs to be with Dave. I want it to be with Dave. But for some reason, I I don't know why he doesn't have interest in it. I don't know if it's just like, "Eh, it's you know, in the past or he's embarrassed of what we did or what it is because he's never talked to me. You know, we, me, Aaron and Don went to uh, his his place, uh, James Coffee. We kind of threw it at him. He's like, yeah, you know, but it's just never materialized, you know. It's I hard to like find it. the time. I would like it to. Yeah. It's hard to find the time. I mean, Dude, I got five kids, man. Mm-hmm. Believe me, I know about time. Yeah, and I haven't played drums since 2009, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's going to take a while. I mean, yeah. I get it. It would be a little bit of work, right? Yeah. But it wouldn't be too hard. Yeah. So, 
We'll see what happens. How do you feel about that final build to last seven inch? It was good. I mean, it was different. I, I really liked the songs. I think it was, was different, but it was also in the vein of kind of reminding me maybe where it could have went. I liked all the songs. I mean, yeah, I just the um, they just had a totally different writing style than than Dave, you know. So yeah, but I liked the songs. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I won't listen to them because I hate listening to my recordings. But <laughs> I liked them at the time. Yeah, that was really short lived though. So how many shows do you think he played? handful maybe seven or eight that's kind of a lot maybe we played with half hard <clears throat> that's like four years of retaliate yeah mate oh really <laughs> like yeah, twice a year <laughs> every once in a while so that's how um, it's still we, so fun. we tried to when we got back together you know there were some bigger bands in san diego and we would try to be like hey you know can we get on the show and it was just kind of like that type of stuff well who? so oh, i don't want to talk about i don't want to it, it just it it's a sore subject with me because i feel like I kind of did a lot for a lot of other smaller bands that were out there, but then yeah. when we got back, it was like pulling yeah. teeth to try to get on bigger shows or yeah. whatever. And that's when I was just kind of over it. I was like, you know what, man? You know, let's not do this anymore. So, but well, Built Alaska can play with Retaliate anytime, dude. You guys Don't would be on the it. reunion show <laughs> and <laughs> in control. Right. That would have to be. That no, would have to. In control, though. It's too much work. <laughs> yeah. It's too much work. Like when we did our first reunion, we we practiced for three months. We just want to represent ourselves really well. And it's yeah. too much of a hassle. And Ryan, I think that's how he feels. Ryan works well. like two jobs. It's like too hard to do. Too hard, yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I live here and and he's up there, so it's four hours apart. Yeah. yeah. So people ask me all the time just for like little things like, hey, we're a brewery. You know, you guys want to play? Like, hey, I'm doing this show. Want to play? It's like, yeah. do you know how much effort goes in? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, I mean. It would be, I mean, I would have to fly in from San Diego at least for a oh, weekend. Boy. And I'd from have, Hawaii to San Yeah, and I'd have to get in shape. Yeah. For, you know, I'd have to start working out for three months so I don't have a heart attack on stage. Maybe but. he could get Don to be his trainer. Yeah, let's circle with that. Aaron, what is the uh, the year of Don's peak buffness? Well, <laughs> Don was never buff. He was in shape. He was in shape. I'll give, it to, I'll give him that. He was more swole at some point than he is now. I don't even know that I wouldn't, you know... Use that word with Don, like, and I know he's. Well, you you were a beast. Okay, but you were a beast, so like you don't see it like that, probably, right? Like anyone, anyone slightly inferior to you, like looks like a fucking. Yeah, I mean, well, when you're hanging out with punk and hardcore kids, like if you have any kind of muscle, you're like the big guy. Yeah, yeah. You get a lot of oh, you're a jock, but then when a fight starts, who do they look to? Yeah, they're happy to have you around. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I can't remember who told I, me. I love you, Don. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, tell me if this story is true or not. Um, someone told me once there was like some sort of brawl. I think it was at the glass house. And there were some Nazis. And there was like some super big scary guy. And I heard he was like going to fight like either you or Dave. And like you and Dave were arguing over who got to fight like the biggest, gnarliest one. Oh, Dave, but Dave loved him, dude. He, Dave was, was a badass. But like in the middle of the brawl, like the, here's, oh, yeah, this, yeah, here's yeah. this one like untouched guy and you and Dave are arguing over who yeah. gets to fight the gnarly yeah. one. And yeah. then like the guy was like, oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, I really never got a choice. Like Dave was always the first. I mean, obviously from the, the shade fight, the, there was a fight in Reading that Dave's you know, he, 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 we didn't start the fights, but Dave was the first to make contact. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, picked, I, went, I picked up the folding chair and went Hulk Hogan on one guy, though. I did some shit. 
Yeah, no, well, yeah, you got Bert spraying mace at everybody and throwing chairs. You got Ben. You got Ben Gibb. <laughs> That's Ben's fault. <laughs> well, Dave's got the longest arm in the world, so it's a good first punch. Dude, Dude, I felt that, safe in this band. I was like, "All right, we can handle pretty much anyone." Like, yeah, we, we got, we got a good chance in the San Diego hardcore. Yeah, we're we're in built to last, yeah. you know. Like, yeah. but it's funny when you guys were all talking about that story because I was right at the front of the stage, and that guy's right in front of me. And what Shay's stage is eight inches, maybe it's, ten inches. It's like two steps, right? Or is it just one step? It's just one. St- it's a pretty thing, but that guy was still eye to eye with me. Yeah, and he was right in front of me, and yeah. then the the go go gadget arm comes flying yep. across my face yeah. and just connects to that guy's <laughs> yeah. face and I'm just I just see the guy's eyes just get wide like did yeah. I just get punched yeah and then it was chaos yeah <laughs> yeah did you listen to the full Daniel episode yeah do you feel like he went through over over my body well that you don't need to jump in on any of that stuff um I, I he messed it up a little bit of how we started and it's funny because he was the one that did the interview on that indecision um DVD like the DVD came out, yeah. yeah, and 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 basically how how over my dead body started was you know Scott and I were playing in Built to Last and, and I really wanted to play guitar in a band you know it's like when you're playing the drums you're second fiddle you know nobody ever notices you you're the sweatiest guy in the band yeah. all the time nobody you, helps you you got the most equipment Bert was like the only singer to ever help me you know pick bring my drums up on stage and stuff but, but you're a one man show back there you know so I wanted to play guitar and so I had been talking to Scott about playing guitar and we were at the PCH talking about it and we wanted to do something maybe a little bit more melodic at the time with you know a different style of vocal style and so uh, I think I like I, I hit up Daniel or something at the show and was like hey can you sing and that's when he says it in that that DVD he's like yeah. no, no I can't sing you know <laughs> so but I'm down to do an edge band I think yeah that's exactly what he said yeah and so from there it was just like you know, I had already written a bunch of songs and so, and then he, he had asked Rob, so it's like, you know, what we did the first time is I played drums just to kind of put the songs together and then I think it was Rob that, that knew Tommy, you know, and so from there it's pretty much accurate what he said, but I think it's just the start is he's taking a little bit of the credit. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, he's a front man. You got to have a little bit of ego, right? Yeah, I mean. I mean, if you're a front man without a little bit of ego, you're going to be... No, I mean, I've been fortunate to be with two of the best front men, I think, in hardcore, you know? Like, I I feel like I got to play with the... I think Tommy is the best drummer in in hardcore that I've ever... Dude, that guy's amazing. He was so good. He's so good, good, dude. He's so good. I miss that guy. Like, I'm so bummed that he lives all the way up in Oregon. He's doing Mooncusser. Yeah, Mooncusser. Right? And that's rad. Yeah. They're really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I miss that guy a lot. Come back, Tommy. Yeah, come Okay, so over on we Jesus Christ, why did you guys choose a band name? It's so hard to say. Dude, <laughs> like I, was, I swear I'm not that bad at talking, but every single time oh, blah, blah, I gotta, I gotta take a, a second stab I don't know, at it. I don't know how Daniel came up with it. I'm, I'm about ninety nine percent sure Daniel um was the one that brought it to the table and I was like, I love that name. Yeah. So It's just hard to say, dude. Yeah. You know? But uh okay, so over my body breaks up. And let's go back to Bert. So when did you move to Hawaii? Uh, probably about nine years ago. Yeah. He moved out there first. Yeah, so I oh. moved out in 2009 and I took a job out at a company because I had just got my engineering degree and that was like right around 2008 when like yeah. everything took a shit. Yeah. I couldn't find a job to be an engineer. My The company I was working for at the time, they got super slow. So I was like just doing random stuff. And so I found a company out in Hawaii, and I and I and I went out there, and then I said, "Hey, Bert, you want to come work for me?" 
Yeah. And he flew out. He lived with me three months, brought the family out. And then I bailed on him <laughs> two years later. Yeah. <laughs> well, was about, no, you were there for a year and then you left a year later. Yeah, because yeah. I was there about a year yeah. and five, six months. He's like, just come back. I'm like, dude, I got a bunch of kids and stuff. Well, like, I can't he, just move back. It's not that yeah. easy. I set him up with a really good job, yeah, too. No. Yeah. So, like, it was hard for I've been doing good because of him. Yeah. What do you do? Uh, so, I'm a... Well, I, I was brought out and I was an inspector for... Structural inspector for eight years. But now I work with a general contractor as a superintendent. Cool. So, just... You know, running construction jobs and stuff. So yeah, feel that. Pays the bills. Feel it's not that. the most exciting thing, but yeah, it, I'm able to do good and be able to do a record label and stuff. So well, he's got five kids, so you know he's got to have a good job. Are they all with you? <laughs> oh yeah. What's yeah. the spread? Nineteen. I got a nineteen-year-old boy. Uh, the only kid that's in the hardcore. Um, so far. No, none of them else will be. No, <laughs> so my nineteen-year-old, he got to go to like built to last shows, Gorilla Biscuits, and so he grew up listening to that. So I got a nineteen-year-old boy. Um, I got a sixteen-year-old boy, twelve-year-old girl, seven-year-old boy, and a six-month-old boy. Jesus so, Christ, Bert. Yeah, I know. That's it, though. Going for it. We're yeah, done. You get snipped. Team. I've always wanted a big family. <laughs> you snip? I'm not. You're not gonna. My wife got fixed. Uh, that's rude. It's harder. Well, on no. The, well, this it's harder for the women. It is, but our last son that was born, it was an emergency C-section. Uh huh. So, so they do it at the same time. Well, they asked her, and when they asked her, I told her I was like, you know, I'll do it. And she's like, I don't believe you. She's like, I'm just gonna get it done. So, <laughs> Bert, Bert yeah. wants ten kids. Like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I will. So, no, I got a good spread, and it's been great for me. I mean, they're 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 great. Yeah. I mean, I, and they're loving Hawaii. They're in, they love Hawaii. Um, do any of them surf? They do. Yeah, my, my daughter surfs and um, my older boy, 19-year-old, surfs. So. How's your pigeon? Hey, bra. Bra, I don't speak pigeon, bra. <laughs> no. That was terrible. I understand it. <laughs> do you understand it? Oh, yeah, no. I mean, being out there for 10 years, all the construction workers, they got thick accents and stuff. Yeah, so you got to so, pick it up. Oh, yeah, I mean, I know all the words. Cool. Well, let's start uh, talking about the record label. And uh, this is an episode I haven't done all my homework for. So now you guys are together and you decided to do Safe Inside Records. What was the impetus of that? Aaron, why don't you uh, speak on that? Well, I I remember (laughs) at at one point, Bert let me know that he wanted to do a record label and stuff. He had been talking about it and then he started doing it. And I was like, wow, that that would be really cool because... I mean, I'm, I'm like a lot of people. I'm older. You know, I got a couple companies that I'm running. And no excuses, you know, but it's it's hard to be involved. I don't play in bands anymore. And uh, I was like, hey, this is a this is a chance to kind of still be involved in, in the, the hardcore, which has given me so much. I mean, yep. half my life I've been playing music sure. and hardcore. So that was my... I reached out to him. I'm just like, hey... Very down. I don't. I don't want to just jump in on your gig, but I'd be down to like do this with you. And he instantly opened his arms. Was like hell yeah, and was announcing it on Facebook before. I, you know, <laughs> so so had you already done a record, Bert? I did. I did one record, which was um, what? What was the first one? Nerve control. Remain in vain. Split. Okay, that was the first one. Split seven. Sir split seven number inch. one. Yeah, sir number one. Just okay. trying to get bands to. I like nerve control, and you know, I know the kids from Remain in Vain. So, you know, when you first start a label, you just can't get like, oh, this band wants to do it. So you have to start somewhere. So, 
I just hit up Hector from Nerve Control and Marcus from Remain in Vain. I was like, hey, you know, I'm starting a label. You know, do you guys want to put out a split seven inch? And, you know, they were both on board. Yeah. And um, I remember at the time of pre-orders, I think we sold like four records. Mm-hmm. And at the time, it, it, it like didn't matter to me because the reason I started the label was, number one, I'm in Hawaii. I have no friends. All my friends are here. I don't have that connection anymore with... You know, we'd talk, me and Aaron would talk, but there's no connection. I don't have my guys there. Yeah. So I, I started the record label to stay connected with hardcore. You know, even though I'm raising my kids, working, I'm not one of those type of guys where like, ah, you know, hardcore was when I was, you know, this age and now I'm, you know, doing this. It's a big part of my life. It always has been. It always will be. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, all of a sudden when I'm 70... I'm going to start listening to, like, Lawrence Welk. I'm going to listen to fucking Scratch the Surface. Sick of it all, right? Sure. Hardcore is a part of my life. As, as cheesy that may sound, it was important for me to stay connected and be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Because that's what, you know, that's what I attribute, you know, to what kind of made me the man I am. You know, the, the, the influences within the hardcore scene, friends and stuff. And it was important for me to try to get back or help smaller bands or, you know, stuff like that. And that's when I started. I was just like, Hey, I'm going to start a fucking record label. Yeah. I don't care. You know, I'm just going to do what I can. And, um, it's just, it's getting crazy. Yeah. So Aaron (laughs) comes in after the first seven inch and had you already lined a bunch of stuff up or did you guys discuss what you wanted to do? I think you had already been working with bone breaker because, um, yeah, I, and that I was picked SIR up, number two. Yeah, I picked up a band from Mexico who was fucking awesome. Bonebreaker. Bonebreaker. From what state? Uh, they're Tijuana. Oh, Tijuana. Yeah. Um, so I had that set up. But beyond that, it's, it's like I said, when you first start a label, it's not easy to attract bands. They're like, mm-hmm. who are you? And yeah. You can give them your background. I'm an old guy that's been involved with hardcore yeah. forever. You know, that doesn't matter. It's like, what can you help us with? What can, what can I do for the band or, yeah. you know, so yeah, it was you're in Hawaii. So it's hard for you to just like go and meet these people too. Right. You know? so, so I was doing everything from my computer, looking up bands, staying connected, you know, even yeah. though I'm in Hawaii, I'm connected with new hardcore. Yeah. You still I, got the I know what's going I know what's going on. They yeah. got the internet in Hawaii. What? And, yeah. No, but I got friends also all yeah. over the country and I'm like, Hey, what bands have you been, you know, seeing that's, you know, really yeah. good or you know have you heard any good demos yeah well and, i heard you on the podcast the i apologize for it ill street name, news the ill street yeah. news and uh i thought it was interesting the part where you're saying you were emailing some people and they just don't even bother they don't even respond back. that's so rude i you know everyone, yeah everyone, I, I look at it that way everyone like, has a minute why can't you, know? you just say no or like, why can't you just say like you know i don't i i'm not Hey, I don't have I, I don't have time to figure this out right now. Or yeah. thanks so much for contacting us. Like yeah, I, I we're not we're not in the time to figure this out right exactly. now. Can you circle back in a few months or or what's your number? Like let me you know let me reach out later. Something it's right. so weird to just and that still it. I mean even where we're at now that still happens. And then yeah. you see like two months later like this band is putting out a record on Triple B or one of the bigger labels. So you get it right, but it's just like. Just answer me. Be like, hey, man, I appreciate it. Well, that's the that's the best response you could get. Right. right. Other than like, hell yeah, I want to be on your label. It's like, oh, we already were with Triple B or some right. label. You know, it's like, that's the easiest response right. they can send. And then that's the easiest response right, right, for you right, to understand. Right. So, you know? I mean, we, 
we get we get a fair amount of demo submissions. Some week, well, like in a week, maybe it's two. Some weeks, it's five. And are people submitting demos now digitally? Yeah, or, they or send, they're saying like here they'll this send is my me band some camp. stuff that they're working on, or like the rough mixes, or they'll send me their band camp. Yeah, I respond to everyone. Yeah, I okay. can't put out every band. I may not like every demo I get. But are you getting CDRs in the mail, or everything's digital? No, digital, dude. Yeah, I'm just wondering. I don't know how. No, no, no. I'm just saying, like, yeah. Believe me, at first it was like, yeah. No, it's all digital. Digital is. Yeah. yeah I don't get CDs in the mail, records, nothing. It's yeah. like here's our new stuff. Yeah. And it's in WAV files and they send it to you. So. Yeah. But I, I make a point of responding to everyone, even if it's a letdown, you know, like saying, hey, we appreciate it. It's just, you know, we got this lined up this year and we don't have spots. It's, you know, you can never say like, nah, I don't like your demo. Right. So, but I respond to everybody and, you know, well, at least let them know I heard it and good well, luck. Well, we used to tell people we'd play with, fuck, I can't remember if I told this story on the pod. I'm sorry if I did. Um Bands, when we used to tour, like, they would hit us up and be like, hey, let, can we get on Indecision, you know, this and that. And, like, you're playing with these terrible fucking bands <laughs> in the middle of the country. It's like, nah, man, like, they're full, but we got a, uh, there's this hot new label coming up, Roadside Records, you know. Like, we'll, we'll submit your uh, your CDR to them. You know, we drive off from the show and just chuck it out the window. Yeah, no, I mean, it's. <laughs> you're signed. Dude, I, I've, gotten some, I've gotten some awesome demos with videos, and I'm like, holy shit this is amazing because it's so crazy and insane and terrible but i mean i try to respect everyone you know it's like i feel flattered that people send me their demos and stuff i think that's that's noble we were all there we all have been in a band where you're like what were we thinking yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. well i remember my band when i was like 16 against all odds i just played in this punk band I mean, I sent my demo to fucking Fat Records. Why wouldn't I? Exactly. You know? Like, did you ever hear f- back from? Them? Fuck them. <laughs> no, no, I mean, never I just, got past the no. mailroom. Yeah, didn't no. get past the mailroom, boys. No. Like, fuck this shit. I'm not yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they had to have. They had to have gotten a ton because I remember I interned at Hopeless Records in like '97 or '98, and they would just get boxes of demos. Oh yeah, you know, we're insane. not there, but we we get a decent amount of. And I'll send him the good stuff. I yeah. kind of filter it out. I'm like, eh, I mean, this is. Not that good, but yeah, I mean, in the beginning, we were putting out records and just, we were just losing money, money, money. But at that time to me, it was like, dude, I'm doing this for a hobby. And then Aaron's on the side going, dude, we need to, you need to be, we need to be smart, you know? And I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to go pick up this band and, you know, yeah, money, yeah. whatever. Bert wants to put out everybody. No, yeah. not anymore. <laughs> but a, a hobby, you shouldn't lose your ass either. Right, no, right. I mean, nobody, we're and we learn getting into this thinking they're going to make money. I mean, yeah. if anybody's thinking yeah. we're making money out there, just know we're in a bit of debt. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, we're we love it. No, but you should you, know? you should strive to break even. Yeah, break that's e- the well, hey, break even. Break yeah. even, make money jobs. to put out other records. Yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. like I know I'm not going to retire and quit my job to run a record label. Yeah, you know. So, but, but do you have a talk with? Let's say you you get a release from a band, you think it sounds pretty good. Mm-hmm. What's the next step? Like, do you talk to them? Like, how active do you plan to be? Are you going to tour? Touring is a big deal. We definitely have a lesson to learn. You know, like, Bert has a lot more things that he discusses with them. Because obviously, if we're going to put out a record and you're just a band that's not going to tour it, that... Hey, we might love your music, but yeah. it doesn't. It, yeah, if you're up front being like, "Oh, we have 400 one. records sitting on our shelf," like we want people to hear it, but the only way they're going to hear it is if you guys get out there and yeah. Well, you have to believe in yourself, right? Exactly. They need to believe in themselves, and they need to like take it out there. Yeah, I remember when uh, when we got an indecision. I I showed Mandel like I had the tattoo, 
You know, it's like, it's tattooed on my back, dude. We're not breaking up. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know if that fucking mattered or not, but it's like, like I'm, we're, we're going to go for this. And basically, you know, I told him I saved up enough money right now that if you don't want to put out the record, that's totally cool. We're going to put it out ourselves. But if you put out the record, I have enough money saved up right now to buy a van and we're going to go on tour. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the right way to do it. I think. No, you have to tour. Yeah. I mean, I, I get people have jobs and, you know, some of the bands have, you know, that are on our label have a couple members might have a kid or something like that, but I'm not looking for touring six months out of the year. If you can do a week on the West coast, you know, a band dying for it on our label that's mm-hmm. been with us for a while. They just flew out to the East coast for eight shows. Yeah. That's all I'm looking for. Yeah. But we do have bands on our label low end. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like road warriors. They're constantly on tour. But I know every band can't be like that. But a lot of it has to do with those, you know, like, are you, what are your plans for touring? Can you tour? We've, I've been approached um, by like bands that have older guys of ex members of bands that I'm like, oh, I would, you know, yeah. what are your plans? Well, we all have kids and we can't tour. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> we'd love to. <laughs> if you're not playing out of your own state every once in a while, or, yeah. We can't, you know, we can't invest in that now because now it's, we've, we've invested so much into this label and it still is a hobby, but now it's, now it's a business. Now it's a second job for us. Like we have to manage money and pick bands and, and make sure that like, Hey, you know, can this band potentially, you know, I look at them and go, you know, I think they can sell 300 records. You know what I mean? Yeah. so it, it's tough. It's man, there's no formula for picking a good band. It's tough. Yeah. And I'm still feeling my way through all that. Yeah. I'm a rookie running a record. Yeah, we're definitely learning yeah. as we go. What's the current turnaround time at pressing plants? Man, the ones I go through is I get a test press. I get a test press within ten to fourteen days. And then production after that is about a month to a month and a half. Wow. So two and a half months. That's nice. Yeah. That's good. I don't go directly through a pressing plant though, yeah, like yeah. some labels do. I have a broker yeah. that goes through a big pressing plant in uh, the Czech Republic. Mm-hmm. But right now I go through a broker called uh, A to Z mm-hmm. and turnaround time for an LP is like two months. That's great. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. Flexies, like two to three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. So Have you done that yet? I'm getting ready to put out some... Uh, flexi seven inches for um, some recent bands that we picked up that we haven't announced yet for like promotion. Well, or you'll sell them. W- w- so that's so the deal is you know so for a flexi you can do two hundred fifty flexies, you know for four hundred fifty bucks. That's with shipping, right? Mm-hmm. So I would keep some and put on our Death Wish web store. I give some to the band. Whatever we don't sell. So the flexies are going to be like a prelude to maybe their LP. Yeah. So whatever we don't sell, exactly, promotional material. Yeah. I can start sending these out to record stores and, you know, distributors and stuff like that. So we want to sell some, but it's also promotional marketing material. And it's cheaper than just putting out a 7-inch for an unproven band. Yeah, sure. Because you can like a band, but they're not proven, right? Yeah. Do you have any flexies in your collection? I don't. I have a single one. I, I do think. not. I have a funeral oration flexi that is kind of like what you said. It was like a precursor to their first LP on Hopeless. Yeah. But they're hard to store. 
I got to put it in the poly bag of a different seven inch configuration. Yeah. yeah, I mean they're they they don't have the the life expectancy as as a regular seven inch, but when you're producing a seven inch and you can only sell them for you know between you know max right now is seven dollars. Okay, there's no. You don't make money on seven inches. Yeah, you you, you just can't. You can't yeah. make money on a seven inch. You want to break even. Sure. LPs different. Yeah. Well, I think people got to come to the reality that if they want the seven inch format to exist, it's got to get a little more expensive. And and they would like be it's seven bucks for a long time. Uh, yeah, it's, it's been a it's been a well, shame. Yeah. It's I mean it would be a shame to see it go away, but we. You can't expect At some points, to lose it's like money. You can't do it just for fun. No, it's got to be a, like, it's got to be a ten dollars seven inch now. Yeah. I mean, you know? so I'm leaning towards. So we have a band called Time and Pressure uh, on our label, and they I put out their demo on tape on a tape, and then I said, hey, you know, let's do something else. All right, well, we're gonna write another EP seven inch. I'm like, you know what? Instead of a seven inch, why don't you write your new songs will be a side, and we're gonna put your demo on the B side of an mm-hmm. LP. Yeah, just because you can do an LP and you have a way better margin of markup, yeah. right? And it does come down to money. It's like, all right, I need to make my money back, yeah. and if I can make any more, that's going to go towards the next release, right? Yeah. It's about it's like a survival thing, you know? Yeah, well, I fucking hate seven inches now anyway. I just don't want to get up and flip as much. You know, I want to put on a, a record. I I prefer a one sided twelve inch. I'm doing you one know? of those. We're doing that with a band called Bystander, yeah, which has. Uh, uh, Greg Binnick from Trial mm-hmm. and uh, guitarist from uh, God, what, uh, God, who is that? <laughs> Greg Binnick of Trial and, and, and juggling fame. Yeah, yeah. He actually juggled for my. He stayed with me, and he actually juggled for all my kids for like an hour. It was insane. He he stayed with me in Hawaii. So is he? He's that good. Oh, dude. He's oh, dude. To go for an hour and entertain. Well, not all at once, but they. So he would like juggle something and my seven-year-old would be like, here, juggle these apples. And he would juggle apples and he'd go, juggle, juggle our shoes. And he's juggling shoes and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but he'll so, like get on and do the balancing thing and like... His bike. Oh, yeah. He's like, like legit. Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, he had a show, didn't he? Like... He's doing... Well, it's I mean, like he does a spoken word stuff. It was a spoken word slash juggling thing. Yeah. That's fucking Because rad. even like when Bill Talas was on tour, we, we played a show where he was one of the... the the participants of the show and, and he, he did his thing he did at the his, hardcore yeah, show he did a spoken word and he did some juggling and stuff that's so rad that that trial show at the empire club was sick mm-hmm. it was so good it was like right after the lp came out and they did like play the intro through like the pa yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so cool yeah that's who we ended up playing a lot with in up north uh, yeah, trial. East Coast was trial mm-hmm. yeah played a few shows with but them. yeah so i mean <clears throat> that release we're like getting back to it. we're doing a one-sided lp for bystander, yeah, um, and you know we're screen printing the B side. You can do cool stuff. You can't sell it for like an LP price, but you sell it for more than the seven inch, right? So yeah. that's where I'm leaning towards. I'm like, hey, yeah. why don't we do a one sided? Yeah, what um, do you save? You save like buying stampers, and you save mastering one side. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty much just the stampers. So. Yeah. What's that? Four hundred bucks. Um, for two sides, it's about three fifty. Yeah, so yeah. You, sa- you save a little. I mean, you say you save a little bit. Yeah, I mean, but vinyl's just it's, it's expensive. vinyl's just expensive. But well, I know I I buy the marked up version. I'm, yeah. I'm the purchaser. Yeah. <laughs> but bystander <laughs> has you know, Greg from Trial and um, 
Charles, guitar player, plays used to play in a band called Spirits. Cool. Um, so, and they're a really good band. They're kind of like doing. I don't want to call it old guy hardcore, but they're taking it back to just like fast, good hardcore. I don't even want to call it youth crew. It's just yeah. Have they done a release good. before? Yeah, this? with us, we put out their seven inch. Oh, cool. Yeah, so um, we got that coming out. We got a lot of stuff coming out. I mean, it's it's really taken off. It's it's a great feeling that it's starting to feel like. God, at some point we're going to break even or we're going to have money in the bank. And, yeah. you know, well, we now can... the bands are reaching out to us and that's cool. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You don't have to spend an, uh, as much time digging for bands that are coming to you. Well, I mean, the, the biggest help was working with Scott Vogel. I mean, he let us put out the despair discography. That was mm-hmm. a two times LP. That was a double LP. Yeah. And then I hit him up. I'm like, dude, let's do Slugfest. He's like, yeah. So Scott Vogel's kind of helped the label. I mean, it's yeah. it's really like he was just like straight up about, and he's like one of the nicest guys. Like I don't want to get off subject, but he's such a cool guy. He really does give a shit about hardcore. He's I've the done epitome, it for a long time. yeah, of yeah. hardcore. And him just letting an unknown label put that stuff out, yeah. but was, he, know, he was knows, key to our. Existence. He knows you though, right? I, yeah, I mean, we're acquaintances. We're you know, I don't. When would you have met? When Built to Last was around playing like Orange County shows and stuff. And okay. then, you know, just from terror shows and stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he gave us, he's like, yeah, do it. Yeah. And that's kind of what kind of helped us propel a little bit. And then after that, it just started getting. And he'll send bands our way. Yeah. yeah. Gets a little easier. Well, he's a good, he would be a great curator, right? Because he's on tour all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Seeing the cream of the crop. Seeing all that up and coming. Yeah. Yeah, so tell me more. What else you want to talk about about the label, Bert, before we wrap it up? Um, you know, we we got we got so we got a ton of releases coming out. We got um the bystander release, the one sided LP. Um we got the time and pressure LP coming out. Um we have a lot of releases coming out in 2020. We picked up some bands in Canada. Some like newer hardcore band, newer type of hardcore, you know, because I'm trying to I'm trying to stay connected with younger kids and bands. And I like all kinds of hardcore. I'm not picky. I like anything from youth crew to agnostic front to converge. I'm pretty easy. So I'm picking up a whole bunch of different types of hardcore bands. You know, some of them are heavier and slower. Some of them are faster, but I picked up some bands in Canada, believe it or not. We're trying to run Canada, be the Kings of hardcore up there, but all right. (laughs) So we picked up a band uh, called Stepping Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, they're tour machines. They've been playing some of the bigger festivals and uh, picked up another band from the East Coast side of Canada called Cold Shoulder. And we just got a lot of good shit going on. I mean, the, the label's starting to really pick up. So, I mean, cool. Yeah, that's about all I got. All right. Well, tell tell me the Reading story. Oh. oh. <laughs> You so take that. Let's, let's wrap, I just talked for. A let's minute. wrap this up with two yeah. good stories. So, so. so we're we're in Reading, and this is built to last. This or? is a built to last. It's all skaters and like straight edge kids. Yeah, and you show. can see that there was a group there that they're probably not into hardcore. It was just a this place older was, guys. Yeah, this was a weird place. So this place like had like an arm wrestling table, and like <laughs> yeah, so so there were some guys there, you know, with rocking cowboy hats and stuff like that. And you could tell they they weren't interested in what was going on, other just to to be there. So. I, I guess at some point they were causing trouble with some local kids that that were like skater kids that were there to see us and stuff and and so there was there was some you know stuff going on when we were playing and it never really got out of hand and then 
I remember afterwards we were we were loading up and I and I took a load out to the the van and uh and our buddy that was on tour with us Ben Nahum he he came out with me and then I was like hey just just stay out here so I didn't have to close up the van and and I walk back inside and I overhear this guy go like oh fuck straight edge and I was like hey Dave <laughs> this guy said fuck straight edge and, and they've been fucking with the skater kids yeah, too. Yeah, and so there days. was a guy there that was like bigger than Dave, yeah. like taller than Dave, and he was kind of sitting down, and, and it wasn't him, but yeah. Dave walks right up to that guy, and he's like, you got fucking beef? And the guy's just like looking at him, I'm like, no, Dave, this guy. And he just turns around and starts pushing the guy, and then this guy, like, other guy was like in my face, but he was trying to be like, he was trying to act like he was like the peacekeeper, and so he's like grabbing onto me, like, trying, so I couldn't yeah. like do anything, and it was just like chaos, and... That was a good one. <laughs> Fight broke out. Yeah. I started swinging fold-up chairs. Fold-up chairs and, and, yeah, cowboys. They left. They <laughs> left over that. And all the skater yeah. kids were, like, coming up. Just like, thank you. And stuff. Yeah. And we were always, like, the defenders of the scene or something like that. Like Even out of town. Yeah. Out of town, dude. Totally. Yeah, yeah the hero, heroes of hardcore. <laughs> yeah, the heroes of hardcore. Yeah, I, I, I have to hear it from Ben all the time because he's like, you guys left me out there. Yeah, because Ben was uh, like, I missed the melee and stuff. We're like, dude. <laughs> yeah. That and the Shea one, and then there was the Empire Club. That Well, the Empire Club, Club is the one that led up to this. Just the pre-Shea one, one. one. That was yeah. the pre-Shea It's been told twice now. Oh, okay, yeah. so we don't want to get into it. I was the one that got sucker punched at the yeah. Empire Club. I think Don tells that one. Yeah. 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 But, I mean, I, I did call the guy a pipsqueak. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what are you going to do, pipsqueak? And I yeah. seemed kind of go around me and I turn and get hit. That's an underrated uh, cap on someone. <laughs> you know? You yeah, break, he was like jumping back. in the background and I was just like laughing. Like, He's like dancing around, box, shadow boxing. I was like, what is this guy yeah, doing? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's kind of old timey. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Soul guys with old he's like, come on, let's Yeah, and he's going that way. Yeah. So. You got another one in your back pocket, Bert? You want to end on a, a good story? I don't think we have much more for that. Yeah, there's all kinds of fighting stories. Really? <laughs> like, what other ones? Oh, man, have? there's one at the Empire Club, I remember. Like, and I, no, not Empire Club. It was at Soma. And I don't, I think it was like a Force Live show and us. And I can't remember who the main headliner was, but... There was, like, these guys that showed up, and they were obviously, like, just bro guys. They had no idea what hardcore They showed up just to go in the pit, and they started causing trouble. And, and at some point, like, you know, they turned on us, and I, like, hit one of them, like, in the face. And they kind of, like, broke out. One of them had brass knuckles, and, like, and that was the guy that I hit because he was about to hit somebody else. And then the bouncer, that was back when they had the big old bouncer dudes. Yeah. They come in, they tackle these guys, and they start taking these guys out of the club and I'm like one of the first ones following and like I turn around and it looked like when you kick like an ant hill yeah. where all the ants are trying to get out at the same yeah. time there's like like every single hardcore it's just you feel bad for these guys because they didn't realize that all 300 of us are all friends they walk yeah. into a like, hornet's nest yeah. Yeah. they feel like they're rolling deep with like five ten dudes and they know? are at most spots yeah you walk into a bar with five bruisers yeah, you know the place. Yeah, know? and that was the thing that like they didn't talk. I, I mean, I don't know if recently they talked about, but at the end of that um, fight at the the Shea, I remember like after it kind of died down the first time, I I walked over to see what was going on with the not the guy that had the Nazi tattoo mm -hmm. on him, but the other guy, and and he like stood up 
And I, w- I went over because the, the amps were still buzzing. Mm-hmm. So he stood up and like he's got this giant hematoma yeah. in his face. And he's just like swaying. The guy looked like, I mean, I don't know how he was still breathing. Yeah. Like, mercy. And he's like, he's I'm right in his face. And he's like, it's so fucked up, all you guys against us. And I was like, fuck <laughs> you. This is what you guys do. Like, yeah. you guys go around doing this shit yeah. you just got your ass whipped and I just reached over his head and I turned off the amp <laughs> and then, then that's when part two started where the guy's like what's up yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was like, oh, he gets choked God. out and we kicked him out the back door into the mud I know that was crazy it was like he rose from the dead yeah huh? just like, like hands, oh, here he we go again. foot like wingspan yeah. like. that was scary my wife was like seven months pregnant too man and I was, was she like, there he was she was there oh, that's why geez. I wasn't like, yeah. I got some good kicks in and took a couple of the guys' grills and stuff. But other than yeah. that, I was looking to make sure my wife was okay. But spray that Don flipped the tables yeah, over. So ben. ben, that was all Ben's fault. Dude, I remember. <laughs> People act it. like I was doing Dude. this, like, just spraying aimlessly in there. I was about, you know, three feet from the guy's face. But yeah, right everybody who and then left, ben, eyes were watering. No, and, and then like Ben, like, my slides drums. under and, like, looks straight at me almost <laughs> and is, like, punching the guy. I'm like, Dude, no wonder you got friendly fire. I remember picking up my drums and it was just all over my drums and my eyes were burning and I, and I had no idea that Mace got sprayed and they're like, oh, that was burning. He's just spraying it. They like were big it was, guys. Like dude. he just took yeah. a shit. He was just trying just... to help the cause. But... <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a good time, man. Yeah, Peppersfield. That was, that was in, in, out of Inside room. a room that there's like 300 kids in. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I had it on the squirt thing, but I think it was more of the mess. I didn't even know we're at Pepper Spray on them. <laughs> well, I had it because I knew that shit was coming down the pipe at that show. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, that one will always be a you know, it's legendary. Fun. Yeah, it's legendary. Well, and it like it led to the first hit of over and over my dead body. God damn it! Again, <laughs> you know. Well, it, it was... sucks because I remember like we were gonna play the Misfit show, and then like we decided not to because people it was at Canes. Yeah. We're like, uh, eh. yeah, and that's was, where that was, I was like, I'll put a baseball bat up next to the stage and be like, I'm up here if you yeah. need me. You know, like, yeah. so we backed out of the Misfit show because yeah. PB, it's Kings. like, dude, there could have. Those guys have friends. Those those Nazis had friends down there yeah. that probably weren't even racist, but yeah. they were just like friends with them. And yeah. you yeah. have all the PB guys. I'm just like, eh, we might want to. Yeah, we couldn't expect. Let's expect step back from that one. Average. Plus, it was. I think it was 18 and over, and I didn't want to play that show because of the. I'm a I'm a fan of just playing all ages shows and stuff. So shout out PB Pub. Yeah, PB Pub. <laughs> that was my spot, dude. <laughs> had a good run there. Pacific Beach. Yeah, man. Well. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, uh, no, yeah, it's funny. Anything else you guys want to touch on? You feel like you've been well represented. Don, you you were pretty buff, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so Don clarified he was he was buffer in two thousand than he was in ninety eight. So I was off by. Two I just years. thought he was in shape. Like buff is like Dave Kennedy. Like, see, I don't remember Dave Kennedy being buff. I remember him being. There was like, a time where Dave and I were constantly in competition about who could be who could get bigger. Yeah. But he'd always complain, my muscles are long, so I can't get <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, like how he doesn't have a frame that would like Total lend itself talk. to being talk. Yeah. To being like super muscular. Yeah. I was always skinny, so I didn't. Not anymore. <laughs> it's all relative, right? It's all relative at this table. Not anymore. <laughs> Old age, man. It's catching Old up. Old age, it is. Oh. All right, guys. Thank hey, you. Hey, thanks, thanks, man. Yeah, for sure.